You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. We're going to continue our series in the book of Daniel. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can grab it, begin to turn to the book of Daniel. Um, As we do, let me just kind of set up a little bit of where we have been. We're looking at chapter 3 this morning. Last week, uh, Pastor Scott kind of set up chapter 2, talked through that. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who'd pulled in a bunch of Jews from, from exile, pulled them in. He's building this Babylonian empire on slaves and people as they conquer different areas. He's pulling in those people, um, and they become slaves entrusted to him. And, and he's ruling over them, and he builds a massive kingdom and a massive empire. So there's a group of Jewish people that are part of that, Daniel, um, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we get to know them, as are mentioned through, through the book. But we're really introduced them in, in chapter 1, verse 7, as what? As Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was their Jewish names. Um, and they renamed them. They gave them new names. And so those are the guys we get introduced to. But chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream And he pulls in all of his guys, right, fortune tellers and magicians and mystics and all that. And he says, tell me what I dreamed and then give me an interpretation. And he says, if you can't do it, I'm going to kill the whole lot of you, you know. Daniel has favor. He gets a few days to think it through, pray it through. He seeks the wisdom of God. The Bible says if we lack wisdom, we should ask of God. He will give it to us. He does that. He's a promise-keeping God, amen? He'll do that. You ask wisdom, seek his face, he's going to give you wisdom. So that happens. Daniel tells the king Nebuchadnezzar about his dream. He said, here's your dream, here's the interpretation. And if you remember, it was about a, a giant statue, a giant idol. And Daniel told him in verses 32, 33 in chapter 2, um, what that represented, That King Nebuchadnezzar, you have this great kingdom, this great empire, and the head of that statue, which is made of gold, is you. But there are other great kingdoms coming behind you. He didn't like that part. He only liked the first part, right? I only like that first part. Oh, I'm great. I'm I'm freaking awesome, man. And and I am the head of gold. And and, in his mind, he thought there's nothing else coming behind him. And yet we look back historically, we see like the Medes and Persians and the the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, who have been incredible. So now King Nebuchadnezzar only stops at what he wants to hear. I want to be really careful because when we come to church, we come to God, sometimes we only hear what we want to hear. And what we end up doing is we take what we want to hear from God and we create a God of our own exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does. So as we jump into now chapter 3, we have to finish chapter 2 just to understand where we are. So Daniel chapter 2, let's just begin in verse 46. It simply says, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. This is because he told him what the dream was and he gave him this interpretation. And he commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. Verse 47, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Now, be careful with that phrase. We'll talk about it in a minute. And he's a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. When King Nebuchadnezzar right here says, man, your God is 
God of gods, king of kings, Lord of lords. He is not making a profession of faith. King Nebuchadnezzar is polytheistic. He has many, many gods throughout Babylon. Basically, what he's saying is like, your God's cool. Matter of fact, of all my gods, your God's pretty cool. Matter of fact, I might put him right up there at the top. But he's one of many. For the Jews, it's a totally different name. We'll look at it because he says something similar uh, down the line. So we'll look at that when we get to it. Verse 48, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. In other words, he gets this promotion. He, he, he now has a special place in the palace, in the, in the king's entourage. Verse 49, Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guys we know as Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Right? over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Important to understand that. So we come to the close of chapter 2, and we don't know exactly how much time passes from chapter 2 to chapter 3. Scholars, students, kind of believe probably 20 years maybe have now passed, and, and now we begin to understand why. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, a giant statue, the head made of gold representing him, the chest and the arms made of silver representing another kingdom that's going to come behind him, the middle section and the thighs now made of bronze being another kingdom that will come in after him, the legs made of iron being another kingdom that will come in after him. Nebuchadnezzar rejects all of that, and what does he do? He builds the statue, the idol of his dream, and he coats it in gold. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, here it is. You ready? Yes? Are you ready? Let's go. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and in its breadth, six cubits. That's a cubit's about 18 inches. So your translation may actually say like 90 feet high by nine feet wide. And he set it up. Hang on to that phrase. He set it up. King Nebuchadnezzar set up. You're going to hear that like seven or six times probably in these first seven verses. Because this is all about Nebuchadnezzar. This is all about Nebuchadnezzar. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, Babylon is modern-day Iraq. Uh, the, the empire is probably 50 or so miles somewhat south of, of what is currently Baghdad. So that's the region. So now we're sitting due east of Jerusalem in the Promised Land on the other side of the Dead Sea. So what you have here is King Nebuchadnezzar who hears an interpretation of a dream from God saying, yes, you are the head of gold. You are powerful. God, matter of fact, he says God has placed you in that position of authority, but there are other kingdoms coming behind you. He didn't want that part. So he builds this monument, this idol, this statue that's, get this, 90 feet tall. I mean, just imagine standing at the base of, a, of, a, of an office building or some building, some structure that's nine stories tall, and at the base is what? Nine feet. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist. That seems a little unstable to me. Am I right? As a kid, guys, you know we'd probably climb it. We don't care how unstable it was. It'd look fun. 
But here he is, he builds this giant gold statue that's 90 feet high and nine feet wide. You know what it represents? It represents anything we build in our own doing here and we erect as an idol before God. I'm just going to tell you, it's unstable. He rejects the true God. He rejects Daniel's God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. He rejects the true Jehovah God. He erects an idol of himself to himself and to the people that he's conquered, that he's building this kingdom, and he erects it and he puts it out there. And he goes, am I awesome or what? I have this incredible kingdom in this empire. Forget what God says. This is all about King Nebuchadnezzar. So as he's there, what we understand is there's, there's no earthly idol that we can erect that has any stability but God. Look at verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 3. The satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is like a list of who's who. This is like a red carpet thing going on. He's bringing all of his, all of his people. This is not, hey, I'd love for you to come to my birthday party. This is, no, you are commanded to come. Because this is all about him. Verse 4, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, listen to the language, O peoples, nations, and languages. That when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, trigon, you, you may say zither. Anybody play the zither? Uh, I think Bryce is looking for a zither solo in a couple weeks. So if, if you play the zither or the trigon, I don't know about the bagpipes, but hey, you know, accordion, if you got something, um, go talk to Bryce. And worship, when, when you hear it, you fall down and you worship the golden image, again, that King Nebuchadnezzar has up. Verse 6, and whoever does not fall and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound, here we go again, of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages, there it is again, hang on to that phrase, fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is a who's who's list of Babylon. Everyone's going to be there. I want all my leaders, all the magistrates, all my uh, guys, that the governors, all the people. I want everyone there because I want everyone to clearly understand what is about to happen. And that is that you are going to worship this, this idol that represents me and my kingdom. It's all about Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. He's the ruler. Here's what I want us to pick out of this passage this morning. We're just going to read through the chapter. We're going to highlight a few things along the way. But, but here's what I want you to understand. The object of your worship. The object of your worship will define your outlook. The object of your faith, the object of your worship will ultimately define your outlook. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was all about him. 
For Nebuchadnezzar was about him and his kingdom. Now, I don't know any of you that have a giant 90-foot idol out in your front yard. I don't want to say there's not such a thing, because there is. Uh, I, I grew up in northern Illinois, and there is to this day, if you're ever up in northern Illinois, you can look for the gold pyramid house. I went to school with a kid named Jim. His family was uh, really big builders and pretty successful, and they had this crazy idea years and years ago of building a pyramid home, and it's surrounded with what looks like Babylonian artifact fence and everything else, and out front there's this giant statue. And it was open for tours. I don't know if it's still open for tours, but, but it was unbelievable. But listen, whether or not you have a 90-foot statue in your front yard or not doesn't mean you don't have idols. You may have idols in your home, and it may look like a 65-inch flat screen. You may have idols in your home that look like your home. You may have idols in your garage. You may have idols on your wall representing achievements or accomplishments. You may have idols in your life that are not even objects at all because it may be your thoughts, your ideas, your dreams, your careers, your pursuits, your hobbies, your addictions, your habits your hang-ups, and you can't separate yourself from those things to surrender to the one true God because in your own way, you worship those things. And when you're confronted with the truth of God's word, you have a choice to either hang on to that or surrender that. Because just like Nebuchadnezzar, you and I can know all the things about God but not surrender to him. And what's happened and it's become very popular in our culture is to pick and choose the things of God that we like and hang on to those and we make those our God and we dismiss the rest of the things. And so when, when we talk about something in God's word and you don't like it, you have an idol of bitterness or anger, not at me, not at Pastor Scott, but at God. Because you become an apostate, what the Bible says, an apostate. It's knowing the truth, rejecting the truth, and replacing the truth with your own opinion. That's what the Bible calls apostasy. Nebuchadnezzar was told the truth, but he rejected the truth. And instead, what he did is he erected an idol of basically himself to himself so that people could fall down and worship so idols can look like a lot of different things. But let's move on because I want you to hear the language. We, we just heard it twice. All people, all nations, all races, all languages. Back in June when we were in, in Israel, I just couldn't help but let this verse run through my head again and again and again, thinking it's going to be amazing to see how God works all this out. Do you hear what's happening with Nebuchadnezzar? All people, all nations, all languages, because he had, he had conquered small groups of people and, and they're now serving him as slaves. So he has this, this worldwide gathering of people. So I don't care who you are, whatever language you speak, whatever nation you're from, you're now part of my group. What does this sound like? It sounds like Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. 
After this, I, I looked, this is, this is the vision, the revelation to John, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And I remember being in Israel, and I'm thinking, man, there are people from all over the world, and it's going to be interesting to see how God works all this out. Because one day, every tribe, every tongue, every nation standing before the throne of God and giving him praise. Because there are Jesus-loving people serving him all over the world right now. There are followers of Jesus Christ who are abandoning everything and are living a life similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because every moment of their day, every moment of their life, they are in fear for their life. This week, just reading, reading some info from Voice of the Martyrs. If you've never just visited, just Google Voice of the Martyrs and go to their website and just begin to pray for people who have been imprisoned and martyred for their faith. Some thousands of days. They've been captured, family ripped from them and murdered and thrown to the side. It's happening every single day all around the world. And we sit with great comfort, much like Nebuchadnezzar saying, God, I'm going to wreck my idols and I'm going to live in comfort with you because certainly being a follower of yours, everything's supposed to be awesome. I don't see that promise anywhere in the word of God. So what is your outlook? Because the object of your faith determines your outlook. And if you are trusting in the one true Jehovah God, your outlook is different. It should be different. The outlook of Nebuchadnezzar was all about worship. Worship me. But I'm telling you what, he was confused. There was pride. There was arrogance. Come and worship my God. Come and, come and worship my God of my liking. Come and worship the God of my choosing. Not the one true God. Some of us, I got to be really honest, walk in here with the same attitude. God, I want to come and worship you the way I want you, not the way you really are. God, I can worship you if Bryce is playing the right songs today. God, I can worship you as long as there's no drums. God, I can worship you as long as there's an organ. God, I can worship you as long as there's a zither solo, right? Because that's my kind of worship. But we discount everything else. And in our own, now listen, this is subtle, isn't it? It is so subtle that I've replaced the worship of the one true God with something that I've erected myself. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar's doing, and he's demanding. There's no choice here. He's demanding everybody do it just like that. And so he created this God, this statue, this idol. So look at down in verse 12, Daniel chapter 3, because now the leaders come together. They do this thing. They, they start playing all these horns, all these instruments, the zither, the bagpipes, all these things, and, and people just begin to bow down. They just begin to bow down. But there's some guys that are watching these Jewish guys. And so they, they come, and the leaders now come to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, it's interesting. Let's go back for just a second. Where's Daniel? I looked at Gloria because I'm looking for an answer here. Give, give me an answer. Where's Daniel? He's the king's court. 
We don't know. The, the scripture doesn't tell us right here, but we have to believe that he's there. Now, he, he may have elevated to a rank that did not demand for him to be there with all the governors and all the prefects and all the magistrates and all that. He may have had a different position. But it was these three that were identified there. So we don't know for sure, but we know that Daniel is serving the Lord and he's serving the king faithfully, right? Exactly as God has directed him. So it's interesting because of all these people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, here's three guys that stand out. Here's my question. Does your life stand out? When all the world is bowing to something, do you stand out? Do people look at you and go, what's up with him? What's up with her? How come they're, how come they're living different? I'm going to tell. <laughs> I'm going to tell. That's exactly what happens. They, they go to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. Talk about ego. Talk about pride. Talk about arrogance. You mean someone is not doing what I said. I told them to bow down. I told them to worship this idol. I spent maybe 20 years having this thing built. So they brought these men before the king. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Verse 15, this is funny, this little section, it's almost like, okay, maybe you didn't understand. And any parent in the room, you're dealing with a small child, maybe you didn't understand my instruction. Let's talk about this again. Pick up your dirty stuff, put it in the hamper. Maybe you didn't understand that. That's exactly what he's doing. Maybe you didn't understand. Verse 15, now if you are ready, right, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music uh, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, good, good. Now we understand each other, good. Now, now we're on even terms. Maybe amidst the big crowd of people you didn't completely understand. Okay, good, now we understand each other. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace now, here's the confusion of, of Nebuchadnezzar's outlook. He, he's, he's confused. He's prideful. He's arrogant. Because look what he says. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar, in his own heart, is still searching for something true and real. He's searching for the hope of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's, search, he's searching for the certainty and the clarity that these guys are living with. NIV says, then what God will be able to rescue you? What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The, you hear the arrogance? Look at the next verse and you see the outlook because the outlook now shifts from Nebuchadnezzar's outlook to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, What's missing in that phrase? King. They don't address him as king. O Nebuchadnezzar, it's coming though, hold on. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, if this be so, oh God, I love this. Our God whom we serve is able 
to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O what? King. They didn't begin with king as an attitude of worship to him, but they gave it to him out of respect because that's who he is. They, they served him. They were part of his team. So they didn't approach him saying, oh, you are the great king. You are the king of kings. No, Nebuchadnezzar, we, we serve you. We want to serve faithfully. We want to serve with honor. We want to give you the respect that you are due. But no, we're not going to do this. No. We're not going to do this. I, I will respect you. And I will serve you very well, but no, we're not going to do this. This is an issue of worship to them. King, not supreme authority, but respect to him. Verse 18, but if not. I love that. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. He will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you hear the outlook? Do you hear their confidence? Do you hear the security with, with which these young guys are living and serving this, this kingdom? There's no disrespect involved here. They're honoring him. They're simply saying, you're wrong. In the most loving way I can possibly tell you, you're wrong. You ask the question, what God's going to deliver you? I'm going to tell you. My God's going to deliver. He's going to deliver us. Now, what they say here is that he will deliver us. There's a statement in verse 18 of absolute, or verse 17, of absolute fact and certainty. He will deliver us. That's option one for them. But even if he doesn't, We'll go to option two, because he's still going to deliver us, but it may not look like what we think it looks like. And we'll see that as we move through. These guys refused to serve the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to serve the gods of this world. Why? Because their identity was fully and completely in Jesus Christ. They trusted Jehovah God, the one true God. They were trusting in his promised Messiah who was to come. And they were standing confidently and absolutely assured before Nebuchadnezzar. Their outlook was greater than simply the, the activities of the day. They weren't getting caught up with the activities of the day. Why? Because it's like, you know what? Our mission is something way beyond today. How I serve God today affects way more than what happens today. And I'm going to live and surrender to him. So here it is. The object of your faith determines your outlook. But second, I want you to see that the object of your faith, whatever, whatever you place your faith, whatever you begin to worship, whatever you are doing, the object of that faith determines not just your outlook, but it also determines your outcome. It, it's going to determine your outcome. Let's pick up down in, in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ever have a situation like that? Oh, man, we see it so much in our culture right now. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. 
Can somebody say that's really hot? Now, we don't know, was it seven times? Seven is often the number of completion or perfection in Scripture. So, were they like gauging it? Hey, it's like 800 degrees now. I'm not a math guy. Um, But, you know, or was it simply that this is as hot as they could possibly get? We don't know, but it's obviously incredibly hot. Verse 20, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army. I want you to see three times a word that's used right here. To bind Circle in your Bibles, underline it, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 21, then these men were what? They were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. Those might have been unmentionables, we don't know. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's hot. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning furnace, the burning fiery furnace. To be bound, to bind. They were secure. I don't know about you guys, this was not the outcome we expect. Amen? Amen? These guys are the heroes. I mean, if, if this were a Hollywood hit, we would be really disappointed right now because our heroes just got thrown into a fiery furnace. That's not the outcome. When, the, when they said, our God will deliver us, they were looking at option one. Like maybe somehow they would just be taken up. They would just disappear and they were gone. Our God's going to deliver us. He's not going to put us through that. But in their head, they also knew there's option two and option three, which was what? We go in the fire and we die. They were trusting that God was going to deliver them no matter what that deliverance looked like. And and sometimes in our situation and in our circumstance, we end up in a situation that is difficult. And we expect God to deliver us from the fire instead of delivering us in the fire. Because these guys knew our God's going to deliver us. I'm not sure what that looks like, but he's going to deliver us. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I, I missed one Let's back up. I'm sorry. Verse 24. We missed this part. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He delivered, he declared to his counselors, did we not cast, this is a rhetorical question, by the way, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men. How many men? I see four men. What were they? Unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Bryce introduced a song to us several weeks ago as we were starting this series. You are my fourth man in the fire. This is exactly where this is coming from. See, they knew deliverance was coming. They didn't know what deliverance looked like. Did it mean that I was going to be saved from the fire? Or did it mean that I was going to be saved in the fire? 
They just had a confidence in God. Their outlook was different. Their outcome was different because of their anticipation and whom they had their faith in. What was the object of their faith? It was the one true God. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. Hang on to that phrase. Come out and come here. I love that. Come out and come here. I got questions for you. <laughs> come out and come here. Have you ever had someone just reach out and go, I, need, I really need to talk to you? I see God doing something in your life, or I've seen God do something through you, or I've listened to your testimony again and again. I got questions for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, come on out and come here. Buddy, I got questions for you. And, and he said, you are servants of the most high God. Now, uh, be really careful. This is still not a declaration of the one true God. You'll see this phrase used elsewhere. You'll see it in Psalm 75, Genesis 14. It's a, it's a compound name of the names of God, El Elyon. It literally means the, the most high God. And to a Jewish person, to a follower of Jesus, this is God is alone supreme. There is no God but you. Again, the way Nebuchadnezzar uses it as a pagan is simply saying that of all the gods, yours is definitely the best. He is not surrendering his life. He is not putting his faith in the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's not placing his trust and surrendering his life to the one true Jehovah God. He's simply acknowledging that God is, is, must be real, must be true, is pretty awesome that he can do this stuff for you. And yet, of all the gods, he's the best. I'm afraid sometimes in my life, in our lives, we, we, we want to live that way. God, I can have all my little gods and I can worship all these things and I can put my trust in things. But God, really, at the end of the day, you're the best. High five, Jesus. Instead of acknowledging that he is holy, he is righteous, there is none like my God. He is Jehovah God. Uh, the name Jehovah literally carries with it the idea that he is, he is holy, righteous, set apart from his creation. He is so holy, he's set apart from his creation, and yet he intimately enters his creation to save us so that we can have a relationship with him. That's who this God is. He's not just one of many. He is the one true and only God. The object of our faith determines our outcome. Look at verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw, I love this, they saw physical testimony that the fire had not um, had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Somebody say Amen. God delivered them. He delivered them from the fire. He delivered them from the effects of the fire. No hair singed. You ever smell burning hair? Stuff we do as kids, right? I mean, just for fun. It's like, ooh, that stinks, you know? They didn't smell like the fire. They didn't smell like the smoke. I love to cook on a grill. I love to use a smoker, but I don't like that smell to go with me. 
right? I like it on my meat. But when I walk in the house, Leslie goes, you smell. I always wondered why moms, moms, you're incredible. My wife has this superhero gift of smell. It's pretty incredible. But my mom had it too, because sometimes I'd come in and, and she'd go, where you been? Who, who you been hanging out with? I think I smell Lucky Strike. How would you know that? Why? Because the effects go with us, don't they? Listen, when God delivers you, he delivers you. And, and you begin to have a testimony. Why? So the people look at you and they go, I, I don't see any of that in you anymore. I, I don't see the effects of that. You are unbound. You are delivered. There's no evidence of the past. The only things burned in the fire was their bondage. Did you get it? The things that bound them were now not binding them. And sometimes God takes you to that place to free you from things that are binding you and, and holding you in bondage from an intimate relationship with Christ. Sometimes God takes you to the fire because he's going to, just like those guys, those mighty men, who died? The mighty men. 1 Corinthians 15, my kids got burned out on this verse. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. I told them, I said, guys, listen, never underestimate the power of the people that you live life with, the ones that you're closest to. And I look at this story and I'm going, sometimes God takes me through a journey and he takes me to a fire and, and I, I end up in the fiery furnace and he meets me there. And what I lost along the way were people who I probably didn't need to be with. They, they weren't leading me closer to Jesus. And what, what happened in the midst of that flame is that God refined my faith. He refined the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we come out with no effects. I love meeting people and hearing their stories and their testimonies. Have you ever met somebody and you hear their story of coming to know Jesus? And, and you go, I never knew that about you. I never would have imagined that with you because I don't see the effects. I don't smell the fire on you anymore. I don't see the bondage in you anymore because you have been walking with Jesus and you've been delivered and, and those things that were holding you back are gone. And, and I can't even imagine that you had a life like that once upon a time. I love those stories, don't you? I love those stories of God just delivering people from the bondage of sin or self and becoming free in Christ. We don't get there because it's easy. We get there because it's hard because God takes us through the process. See, just like these guys, we know the outcome. They said, he will deliver us. We know the outcome. What is the outcome? Jesus. Every one of us here, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto man once to die. I'm not trying to sound brutal or ugly, it's just the truth. It is appointed unto man once to die. We know the outcome. The outcome is that one day I will no longer be living and breathing in this earth. What is the outcome? What did Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So as these guys stood before Nebuchadnezzar, it's like our God will deliver us. He's able and he will deliver us. Option one, option two, option three. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to be delivered. 
If God leads you to the fire, he's going to go in the fire with you. He's going to lead you through the fire. You're going to come out the backside. I've discovered in my own life, in my own journey, there are some things, people, we don't get over. But we get through with Jesus. Amen? There's stuff that when I look back, I go, I can't, God, I can't believe you got me through that. God, today, I can't believe that I'm here because you took me through that. God, I can't believe how you've helped refine my faith and give me a confidence and a trust with you. And God, the only way that ever could have happened is because you and I went through this journey together. I didn't get through it, but you got through it and you drug me along. And now we're on the backside of it. And now I'm on the backside. And God, you have proven yourself faithful to deliver me again and again and again. People, that's your testimony. And that's what people are looking for. They're looking at any, what he said. He saw. Altogether, they saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men, that their hair on the heads uh, was not singed, that their cloaks were not harmed, no smell. Why? Because they walked with Jesus through the furnace and they came out delivered. Years ago, a guy named Wayne Watson wrote a song called Home Free. He and Lynn had a, a friend that was going through a cancer journey, and, and she, she passed. And he wrote this song really kind of while she was going through that journey, and it's just, it's called Home Free. It says, God, I'm trying hard not to think you unkind, but Heavenly Father, if you know my heart, surely you can read my mind. Good people underneath a sea of grief, some get up and walk away, some find ultimate relief. The chorus goes home free eventually. At the ultimate healing, I will be home free. Home free, oh, I've got a feeling at the ultimate healing, I will be home free. See, your outlook and your outcome are completely different when you walk with Jesus. I know that I will not be here forever. I don't want to be here forever. But my ultimate delivery, what's my ultimate Healing, my home free moment is when I close my eyes here and I open them in the f and I see the face of Jesus. I will be delivered. I might go through a difficult place to get there. The question becomes, God, how am I going to worship you and how am I going to honor you through my circumstances? Because we, we've all been at that place. Have you been at that place? You're confronted with something and you run to God and you go, God, there is no way we get through this. And God, I'm praying for deliverance. Take it away right now. Option one, take it away. Anybody? Have you been there? I don't want to go through this. Work, family, relationship, illness, whatever it is. We, we all, and, and, and when we get to option one and God doesn't take it away, listen to me, really careful. We can quickly begin to throw up some idols. Bitterness, anger, frustration, doubt. Because the object of our faith didn't come through the way I wanted them to. And that becomes a difficult choice right now. Am I going to erect idols or am I going to go back and trust God that God, maybe you didn't deliver me through option one. Maybe you do take me through this process. And God, in that moment, I'm going to trust you to do what only you can do. 
Because God, I know if you brought me here, you're going to walk with me through the rest of the process. Why? Because he's a faithful, sovereign God. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. And he gets really personal and really intimate in that moment. So he'll deliver us from it. He'll lead us through it. We're refined in our faith through the process. And sometimes we're delivered by the fire itself. There's a purification and a refining that can only take place in the fire. Let's look at this at the end. Verse 28. There's another testimony here from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. Your, your translation may say defied the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Three critical phrases right there that we need to understand. When we are confronted, there's three things that he says right here, verse 28, who trusted in, who set aside or defied, who yielded up. Well, what he's saying is that, that these young guys turned to God. They trusted him. They turned to him. They defied or set aside. In other words, they turned away from, they turned to God, they turned away from the world, and then what does he say? Yielded up. They turned over. <laughs> I turn to God, I turn away from the world, I turn over my life and willing surrender to say, God, my life is yours. When I came to know you, I said, my life no longer belongs to me, it's yours. Use me to your honor and glory. And Nebuchadnezzar gave praise. Again, he hasn't surrendered. He hasn't been humbled at this point. We'll see it as we move through. But at this point, he's not surrendering. He's not trusting. He's learning. And he's learning by the obedience of people who are walking in fellowship with him. I love Warren Wiersbe, pastor and author, um, just a great guy. Speaking of this passage, he simply said this. He said, the devil tempts us to destroy our faith, but God tests us to develop our faith because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. God wants to test your faith so that he can trust you to live on mission. Let's pray together. Father, in this place, we simply surrender to you. God, we love you. We praise you. And in this, in this place, Lord, as we simply examine your text, you are teaching us. And so I pray for the people here in this room. I pray for those that may be uh, attending online with us right now. Lord, there's someone that just needs to turn to Jesus, to trust in him. There's someone that needs to turn away from the things of this world and live in deep surrender and walk in fellowship with you. Lord, there's some that just need to turn over their life in a difficult situation and be willing to follow you and trust you in the heat of the circumstance. The team's going to lead us in a, in a song, and we're simply going to acknowledge that Jesus is worthy of it all. 
He's worthy of it all. There is none like my God. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my worship. And I will praise him in every circumstance. I will walk with him in every circumstance. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're still bound. The effects of sin, decisions that you've made, and you're not living in freedom. And maybe God's taken you through a journey to bind you of those, to free you from the, that bondage and, and let you begin to live free in a relationship with Christ. In this song, we're, we're going to sing about letting incense rise. Uh, Revelation tells us that that incense is the prayers of the saints going to the throne of God. And so as we sing, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. God, let my prayers before you every single day of my life just be lifted up to you. Let them just rise to you as incense. Father, let my prayers to be trusting you, to be uh, turning from the things of the world, to be turning myself over in willing surrender. God, every day, let my prayers arise as incense to your throne. God, that I will walk in intimacy and fellowship with you. God, we invite you to meet us in this moment. Speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.